We want to start this episode out by saying that we are deeply saddened to hear the news of the passing of Justin Owen on Saturday night at Lawrenceburg Speedway after he was involved in a qualifying accident where he ultimately succumbed to his injuries. We asked all of you that are listening to say a prayer for his family, his friends, and everyone affected by this tragic loss. It's another edition of the Clear with Contact podcast live from the Tyler Hughes Motorsport Studios. Here's your host, Tyler Hughes and Cody Jordan. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Clear with Contact, Episode 6. We are in the Tyler Hughes Motorsports Studios. We got an awesome episode for you guys this week. We actually have two guests this week. We have a pre-recording of Mason Bailey from Friday night uh, on April 7th. Uh, today is April 10th, when, and we are also here with Steven Snyder, Jr., Steven's going to come in for the dirt segment, but we also have him sitting here through the asphalt segment. So, uh, Steven, tell us uh, how old you are and where you're from. I'm 18 years old. I live uh, Rising Sun, Maryland. Um, and for the 2023 season, we uh, plan to do wingless 360s, wing 360s, uh, wing 410, and uh, also do uh, micro 600. That's awesome, man. We have a, a lot we want to ask you later on about dirt racing, about your background and everything. We're going to get into a little bit uh, into that a little bit later on, just in our dirt segment. But man, if you want to tune in to anything that we have to say on the asphalt side, you're more than welcome to. Right now, we're going to get into the pre-recording of Mason Bailey from Friday night. So, Mason, Tyler. first first interview, man. Yeah. We are in your house on a Friday night, getting ready for race weekend. You got Dominion's opener this weekend been working our asses off this week we were able to go test on wednesday so uh now we're here doing a podcast before our race weekend so this is a little back ass words because normally we're gonna do this on sunday but i'm gonna try to grab interviews whenever i can so man tell everybody a little bit about yourself like you know how old are you where are you from and uh who do you drive for yeah man well thanks for having me on huge honor first guest this is great. Um, Mason Bailey. I'm 25 years old, born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. Been here my whole life. Love it. Don't intend on leaving anytime soon. Um, went to high school here, lower school, elementary, all that good stuff. Went to college at High Point University. Studied finance. Loved it down there. Um, been racing since I was about 11 or 12. I think I was 12. Started running go-karts with my dad. We started running a little bit before that. We did, like, the go-karts where you can, like, arrive and drive, like birthday parties, corporate events, all that. We'd go there twice a week, run their league races. So that's kind of how we got started. I had a birthday party when I was eight years old. I waited a couple years because you had to be eight to run it. So I waited two or three years until I turned eight, and that was, like, a really big deal for me. Went out there. Everybody had a ton of fun. But I took it, like, really seriously. Yep. And then we kept going back and back and back. And then we got introduced to 
actual go-karting. Did that, and then uh, sold that, bought a modified, and then I got hooked up with Chris Phillips, and that's who I run for now. That's awesome. What is your dad's racing background? Does he have any at all, or is it literally you just started off in some, you know, carts at a, you know, at a at a rental car place? So it's um it's interesting. There's a little bit of both. So he grew up doing flat track, dirt bike racing. Mm-hmm. Him and his brother and his dad they traveled uh, pretty much the East Coast. I think they went as far west as uh, Indiana, possibly. And uh, he did that until he was like 21, 22, then he gave it up. But the whole time he was doing that, he said he wanted to run go-karts. And he didn't talk too much about it when I was real young. We just always watched the race on TV, on Sunday, all that. So I was exposed to it. But um, I don't know how it came about to get involved with go-karts, um, or at least go to the the G-Force karts. Um, I think it was just cool, just like laser tag and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think his interest in motorsports and my granddad's interest in motorsports, I think it was a little bit more to it. But, uh, but yeah, so he's always been like a motorsports guy. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you got into racing, like, you know, at, at 11 and 12 years old, you actually started kart racing. What was that like? I mean, do you remember your first race? Do you remember how you finished? Yeah, so like I remember everything down to the smells, and so like <laughs> every awesome. now and then I'll get like a hint of something, and it'll take me back to sitting on the back door of a trailer at my very first kart race, and some of the dis- the distinct smells of like the the engine oil they ran in the carts. You know, they would cut it with certain fuels and the uh, the stuff they would wipe the tires with. It's uh, it's pretty funny, but um, yeah, I remember it really well. It's funny, looking back on it, I got involved in racing pretty young, yeah. you know, or pretty average, right? But at the time, I thought I was, like, way late to the game because there was all these kids who were doing it since they were, like, six. Um, but, yeah, so what was the question? Um, just <laughs> what, you know, where did you finish? Do you, do you remember what that experience was like? So you've pretty much gone through the experience, but, like, do you remember anywhere about where you finished, how you did in that race? Yeah, so it was – up the street to Capital City Speedway, we ran Junior Champs. Um, it was Blue Plate. I think I did all right. I was on the lead lap. I think there was probably 15 to 20 guys out there, kids, and I think I finished somewhere 5th to 10th, so not too bad. I don't think I made a fool of myself. I didn't tear anything up. Kept it on the racetrack, so it wasn't a bad showing. It was um, it was good enough to know that I wasn't going to be a flop, yep. and um it wasn't bad enough to keep us from not ever doing it again. So, yeah. pretty good. So, when did you eventually get your first win? Was it your first year? Did it take a couple years? So, <laughs> my first win, it depends on what you want to count. But so, my grandparents, they bought me my first go-kart and motor and, and tires. And then I think my dad bought the trailer. And So, anyway, it was a large investment to get started in racing just like any other family. And yep. my first win was a bicycle race that they had around the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> and so my That's granddad, awesome. it was kind of funny. Like, they were teasing me about it. They were like, damn it, man, we spent all this money, and you go out and you win a bike race. <laughs> but I'm not so sure they were joking about it. Yeah. So um, anyway, I don't know what the first actual win was. Sometime, in, you know, the, the junior carts, you know, the – 
the blue plate baby champs somewhere in there that eight to twelve year old age bracket so mm-hmm. i don't remember specifically now so talk about you and your dad i mean obviously like you and your dad and your grandfather all got started in racing together your dad is still a big part of your racing career today mm-hmm. tell me what your relationship with him is like and also how he's been you know an influence on your racing career yeah so it's been um really special so got into it it was me my father and my grandfather so it was fun to be able to to have that with the two of them um and that created some really unique memories you know so it was the three of us and then my grandfather passed and i got into the modifieds and with that came my uncle because he had some short track experience at Southside. So that was really neat to bring him into it. Mm-hmm. And so I got to create some really cool memories with my father and my uncle. And um, so that's all been really good. But uh, my dad, he's just been with me through the whole thing and um, just worked super hard. And we talked about that tonight at dinner, just kind of the how we grew up and how our responsibilities changed getting older, watching Connor, Medell, Connor Waddell mature into that when I first started he did everything my dad mm-hmm. you know put everything together set it up cleaned it everything I just had to sit there and watch and then he uh, slowly transitioned that over to me and now he does the tires full time for our whole operation and um, I don't know it's just really special to be able to share that with him and he still just puts in so much time and effort it's pretty amazing that he is able to do that you know has the energy the drive and that commitment yeah he i watch him all the time and i mean there's no doubt that he still loves doing it and still loves you know doing it for you and still gets giddy every time he walks into the race shop you know he's uh he he always looks like a kid in the candy store whenever he's at the racetrack or you know in the race shop so that's awesome that you guys got that relationship and uh it's still continuing to build memories you know even today so going back to your modifieds your modified career when you got into that what age did you get into it and what were some of the successes and hardships that you had to go through throughout that career so i think i was 14 so we were running go-karts and that was about the age where like everybody matured out of bandos legends carts into like full-bodied stock cars and so i saw some of the kids getting into that and i was like damn it man like I need to get in that too like it's time like let's go and of course you know it's a big financial step in that direction and my dad was like oh dude like how the hell are we gonna do this and I was like I don't know man like and uh just gotta do it <laughs> yeah we just gotta do it right so it was like a friend of a friend um knew somebody who owned some modified so we went to the track with them a couple times and then he was like hey I'm going to sell one of my cars. Like, I'd like to sell it to you. And I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to buy one. And my dad was like, well, what the hell are you going to do with that? How are you going to get that? And I was like, I don't know. So we, we sold all the cart stuff. And I actually landed, like, a legitimate sponsorship deal through a friend of a friend. It was kind of nuts. It was ABS Technology Architects, like a big legitimate business. I sat mm-hmm. down or stood up in front of a bunch of grown men and pitched them on why they should give me money to – race stock cars at a very young age I yeah, mean, yeah at a very young age and i'm not even sure i made it clear i didn't have one at the time <laughs> <laughs> like it's awesome yeah like had my dad 
been there in there with me like I might have not have been able to say some of the things I said and the way I said it so like it ended up working out but um so it's cool so we bought a modified and we kept it on our back patio we didn't have a garage or anything so we kept it on our tarp on the back patio um and so grandma she loved that that was cool <laughs> I'm sure all the neighbors did too yeah they have to scoot it over a little bit so we could weed eat around it and, and all that stuff yeah but it was super fun like I remember going to the track testing it and my I hate this specific memory but my dad loves it first time we go out there he made me drive around the pits and prove to him that I knew how to shift the car and I thought that was so dumb still do but he loves it <laughs> and um we go out there and we were testing and um we were dragging the racetrack, which was pretty cool because that means I was running it faster than the guy before me, right? Because mm-hmm. bought it right from him. Yep. And so I was dragging a track, so I was driving it deeper than this guy. And I've been playing iRacing, so like I kind of knew what adjustments to do a little bit. And I was like, hey, all right, here's the deal, Dad. We're going to put a quarter turn in the front jack bolts. <laughs> quarter turn. And he's like, whoa, that sounds aggressive, man. Like, you're going to start turning <laughs> wrenches on this? I'm like, yeah, quarter turn. Like, I'll get us up off the racetrack. Like, I don't know, maybe you want to do like half that? I'm like, ah, let's go with a quarter turn. <laughs> so anyway, it's just super cool. Those memories stick with me really well. Um, we had no idea what we were doing. And that was kind of the fun part, right? No expectations. Like our first race, we qualified fourth and inverted to the pole. And this was back when they had 26, 28 modified the south side. That's sporting. Yeah, my dad was spotting and like that was tough <laughs> in itself. For yep. him to spot and me to have to listen to that <laughs> and race with that, that was tough. Yep. Um, and so that was super cool. Like I, fin- I think we finished a top five, and then we won our second race ever. And like we That's didn't so know awesome. what we were doing. Yeah, like we didn't even have stickers on the car yet. Like we just had kind of like the the cheapo single color O5s on it, right? So yep. I don't know. It is really cool. A lot of really neat memories. Ratchet strapping tires to the top of our suburban. <laughs> towing it with the open trailer yep yeah a lot of fun that's awesome now i know i know some of this story but i want to kind of bring it out of you too um you ran into some hardship uh i guess your championship year right yeah yeah it's a little bit blurry we were kind of going for the championship yeah okay yeah yeah this story yeah yep. we were yeah we were so, leading the points at south side yep yep so you're leading the points at south side in the modified and you kind of ran into some money trouble, and I'll let you take it from there. I, I want to hear your side of the story. Yeah, so um, not too dissimilar from what we're going through now, but <laughs> ABS Technology Architects, they sold the business. Mm-hmm. So their marketing department, right? So, you know, these three or four individuals that I had, like, sat down with and made, like, an actual, like, marketing plan and, like, a three-year um, journey we were going to go down and all this stuff, like, they were gone like they just sold the business and so that was the end of that and so we had this modified and you you know not a whole lot of money left because i was 15 almost 16 right so i didn't have a job so yeah we didn't have enough sponsorship or income to be able to finish the year out and so that's how i got hooked up with chris phillips and he tells the story a little bit different he said um i came up to him and basically asked him on the spot if he could help me out I remember it a little bit differently. I remember I was just looking for a job, right? Because it was about May, so school was ending, so I needed a summertime job. 
So I asked them for a job, and uh, or introduced myself at the racetrack. And um, anyway, he calls me up the next day, or two days later, and he didn't offer me a job. He offered me sponsorship, right? So that was good and bad because I still didn't have a job. So I was still jobless, looking for a job. But um, but anyway, so he he helped us out to um, wrap up that year. But it was really neat the way he did it because he helped us out and he called up some of his buddies, Greg Fernandez, who was running a late model at the time. You know, so he had his own race program he was funding and his own business and all this. And um, they gave us some money. He called up Greg Holt. They put their name on the car. And so it was just really neat to see or to get introduced to that community and have all those individuals help out and put their names on the car. And we were able to you know, grab some more wins and bring home the championship. And so that was really special. Yeah. And you were what, 15 or 16 at the time when all that went down? Yeah. Yeah. I was 16. I think by the time we hit, we ran a couple races the year before when I was 15 and I turned 16, we ran the full year right there. So yeah, 16 going on 17. Gotcha. Now, how did you get your first late model start? Yeah. So once again, that was through Chris. He, um, he had two cars he was fielding and one for his brother one from another driver and they were having some intra-team turmoil and um i think his brother said screw this like i'm done and stayed at home one night and chris called me up and he was like hey you want to run a late model and i was like yeah man absolutely so we did that we were running modifieds and late models at Southside. i think it was the last two races of the year that championship season and so we hopped in it and this was like the second string car and qualified up front and raced up front we broke the first race and next race we qualified up front and raced up front we broke that race too but like inside the top two or top three so it was pretty cool yeah i love hearing chris tell the story all the time because oh yeah he embellishes the hell out <laughs> he, of it he does he he talks about how you know he pulls you in sits you in the seat and you go out there in a car that you know was really not prepared to the standards of what the primary was which i think you have seen enough now of some of this operation to confirm that part <laughs> is probably true yep we actually have that car that you're driving or that you had driven for the first time and it's the one that connor waddell is driving mm -hmm. yep. so and it's still <laughs> just as screwed yep. up yep. <laughs> still working through the bugs on that one but um no, and you, you go out and you set outside pole at Southside from mm -hmm. the story that I've been told, and which was pretty damn awesome. I mean, and you out-qualified the, the primary car and driver yeah. to the point where Chris looked at, you know, at the guy and you and said, that's my new, that's your replacement right yeah, there. Well, yeah, with me standing right there, <laughs> I was a little red in the face. Yeah, I mean, being a you're 16 years old at the time i mean i'm sure that was like oh i, I don't mean this yeah, hadn't, hadn't even raced it yet and i already got one driver gunning for me <laughs> yeah no doubt but so the next season comes comes around and you pick up racing with chris full time and then really it's just on from there i mean you know you're still driving for chris now and uh getting ready to go into your third season running for a championship at dominion I mean, that guy has helped you out a, a ton through your racing career, from what it sounds like. So, oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, that doesn't even do it justice, really. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome that he's been in your corner for that long and, um, you know, 
still continuing to support you and still continuing to run championships for you. Now, with the late model stuff, you have not got a championship yet. You've come close. What do you feel like has been the missing puzzle piece, whether it's been Southside Speedway or Dominion? I mean, what do you feel like has been the, the missing part to, to tr- bringing that championship home? Yeah, so the Southside Championship run, that's a little bit of a story. Um, I think we executed that season really well. We had a lot of speed. I think I was, like, just on my game. That was that was really a great year, um, all things considered. But with Dominion, I mean, that's just a different ball game. You know, running true NASCAR late-model stock cars against national championship drivers and teams. And, I mean, just competing against operations with – full-time employees it's tough to keep up just weekly on maintenance i mean you know the deal yeah (laughs) i'm the only hired guy on the team yeah but um i mean you and i talk about this a lot i think it's just been consistency and probably just the little things and just finishing all the laps that's really gotten us we've had plenty of speed at times and gotten astray on setup or gotten behind just biting off too much you know more than we can chew just racing multiple tracks multiple cars um, I think it's just been the simple things, really. Yeah. Dominion is definitely a hard deal. I mean, the last two years, you and I have worked together. We've had to go up against Peyton Sellers and Lane Riggs, both guys who have come away with a national title in the last two years. And, I mean, we've finished second and third in the points against, you know, these guys. And we've had, what, I think, three – Yeah, three, three or four three, wins. Three or yeah. four wins together. And three so. or four polls, yeah. Yep. So – you know we've done a decent job but i mean you're right like we have to do better to to be able to beat these guys and it is hard to to run against guys who are doing it you know full-time with multiple full-time employees and you know hats off to them they they bring very well prepared race cars and very fast race cars to the track every week but you know we're still doing everything that we can behind the scenes on a you know limited limited time and uh limited budget uh compared to some of these other bigger teams but um with that being said like talk about you know you run one of chris's businesses americana construction and also um you have this whole racing thing going on talk about you know your work-life balance versus you know your racing life balance and how hard that is yeah well (laughs) super tough still struggling to to figure that out, you know, you and I talk about this um, pretty intently, you know, because you experience it too. It's tough. So small business, everybody knows this, not a secret, right? So when you're starting a small business, it takes 110% of you, mm-hmm. right? It takes money, time, a lot of sacrifice. And, you know, what what does racing do, right? The exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just tough to be able to commit yourself 110% to two different things, right? The math doesn't add up. So that's something I'm still struggling with is finding that work-life balance. But um, going on year number three of managing that company, and it's a small company, right? Nothing crazy. It's been neat. We've we've grown it and gotten it more efficient, and it's afforded me more time to focus on racing. And I think that's probably what I'm most excited about this year is my level of commitment or just my level of focus is not going to be quite as intensive on the business side because it doesn't have to be right because it's two years deep it's 
cleaned up a bunch. So moving forward with the racing, I can put a little bit more attention to that. Yep. No, outside of race or outside of um, you know, obviously winning a championship. I mean, what are your goals and aspirations not only in this season but in the future moving forward? I mean, where do you see Mason Bailey as a late model stock car driver in five years, or do you see yourself somewhere else? I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's one thing that I have not been able to relate with other drivers, you know, our age or, you know, when we were younger, is a lot of them, like, they want to go to the top. Like, they they want their dad to sell all their late models so we can go run three ARCA races. Like, yep. I don't know, can't relate. I, I love late models and short track racing more than anything. And, you know, if somebody offered me a ride somewhere, you know, above where we are, like, you know, would never turn that down. But realistically, that's not going to happen. But also, I'm not really looking to try to make that happen. Like, I really love late models. Yep. Um, everything to do with it. So my goal is just to keep racing as long as I can do it. Yep. Um, in a competitive manner, of course. And then, you know, once that road runs out, I'd love to be able to be in a position to repay the favor. You know, that's something we talked about because you and I are two Cinderella stories of kids with car owners and late model racing. And, um, you know, we, we both want to be able to give that to a deserving young individual in the future. So, you know, that's probably my lofty goal, but in the near term is just to keep racing competitively. Yeah, that's something where I feel like I relate to you a lot, which is obviously you have a guy that supports you and you know believes in you and believes in your talents behind the wheel to put race cars in victory lane and that is something that i haven't really talked about too much on my podcast but i had as well you know i had a guy fund me for six years and in really competitive stuff i mean stuff to go win races every week with some of the best drivers in the nation and you know i was really blessed to have that opportunity for the amount of time that i did obviously you never wanted to end because you feel like you're 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 living a dream Mm -hmm. um one day it does come to an end unfortunately and you kind of wonder what's next but really i think in your case like you just take it day by day and that's all you can do and just you're all you're worried about is the next race the next race go win the next race you know how well can i do in the next race and you know i um it's part of the reason why i enjoy working with you and I'll back you all the time because, you know, I see that you do have talent and it is fun to share that experience with someone that um, has a very relatable experience to what I had. I hope we can do big things together this year and go win a championship. You know, obviously I've never won one in a late model. You've never won one. And I, I would love to kind of share that experience with you, uh, knowing that we have two very similar backgrounds. So... But uh, talking about your personal life, man, um, you know. <laughs> not, not a whole lot there. It's, <laughs> it's in the race shop. Yeah, no, but, you know, we're we're sitting in a house that, you know, you've renovated over the last couple of years. You know, I've watched you take it, mm-hmm. you know, from where you first bought it, and you've put a lot of time and effort into it. I mean, it's turned out very nice. I mean, for people who don't know, you know, what you do with your business, you know, um, or the business that you run for Chris, Talk about your house and what you do with that. 
Yeah, so, you know, we talked about the small business requiring 110% of your time, racing requiring 110% <laughs> of your time, and the math not adding up. So, I mean, if the math is already broken, why not just buy a live-in flip to add to it <laughs> while you're doing it? Um, you know, so <laughs> we'll be leaving at 7 a.m. to go up to Dominion to go race, and it, I'll be spending 30 minutes with subcontractors talking Spanish about how I want to <laughs> re-drywall the ceiling downstairs. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just been fun. Um, you and I talk about a lot, a lot about business and investing and, and, and how dumb we are and how smart we want to try to get. <laughs> right. And um, I kind of need somewhere to live, and I think real estate's a great investment avenue. You know, it's kind of tangible, hands-on, and running a subcontracting company, I got access to great subcontractors that not a lot of people have so shoot man i just bought a house and so me and um <laughs> you lived here with me through most of it but yeah. i've had you know my buddy parker and some of his friends living here with me too and it's just been a long long deal but finally coming to an, an end here hopefully get that on market and run it out that's been a big chunk of my personal life is is this house and that takes up a lot of my free time trying to do as much renovation as I can. My family has a house on the Rappahannock River. That's been a ton of fun. Just got a small boat, been ripping that up and down the river, doing that. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, race cars, this house, and a little bit of time at the river. That's that's about all there is. Yeah. You've done a great job with this thing, or this house, man, and you're uh, running yeah. Americana and, you know, putting in – uh, the frameless shower doors that you do like i love seeing the work that you guys do all the time obviously i got a frameless from yeah, you man. and um it's uh it's gorgeous and a lot of these a lot of these enclosures that you're doing are absolutely gorgeous um yeah i think we get to pat ourselves on the back right as two straight white males <laughs> <laughs> picking out some of these um tile selections and yeah. bathroom renovations i think we've done really well for ourselves tyler yeah that's for sure um so going back to it as i did in the maybe the last episode talking about how i'm not very uh good with colors and yeah. you know picking stuff right. out i'll leave that up to Kara. but uh the one thing i did deliver on was getting the enclosure from you for our bathroom so um but yeah love it love what you've done with this thing man you have a lot to be proud of and um thanks man i'm only two years behind on it <laughs> <laughs> hey it is what it is it's coming along is there anybody yet or anything else you want to talk about anything else you want to cover about your racing career your life just uh to further tell the story of mason bailey oh shoot man i mean there's so much more i'd sit here i'd love to sit here and talk about i don't know how much more time we have i don't know i I feel really excited about this year this year's got a different vibe to it a different zeitgeist but um it's just been really cool leading up into this year we've got a lot of new faces Mm -hmm. with the team that's been really cool um just getting some buddies who haven't had exposure to racing in the shop with us working every night grinding it out really seeing what it's all about and really enjoying it that's been super cool and i want to give a shout out to my second sugar daddy dave atkinson you know he he owns one of the two late models we race Mm -hmm. you know so like last year we ran south boston and dominion um chris owned one dave owned the other and i'm not sure where we're going to take dave's car this year but hoping it's somewhere fast and fun that's right so one last thing man if you weren't racing 
what would you be doing with your time? Like if, you know, if everything ended up going away tomorrow and you you just decide to walk away from racing, what are some things that you would do with your spare time? Man, that's a question that I consider a lot, right? You know, <laughs> we got the cat running around over here <laughs> yeah. playing fetch. Uh, but no, G-man. little G, Robert E. Lee, <laughs> the general. No, man, I, I don't know. I asked that question to myself a lot and I, I don't have an answer like really i don't have an answer i mean i've been doing this for a decade now a little bit longer so i don't know i don't i don't have anything else to do man <laughs> yeah other than probably some of the other stuff that you're doing right now would just get a little bit more time and attention yeah I mean, well yeah exactly like, so i guess that that math equation would start to make a little bit more sense <laughs> yep for sure man well I appreciate you taking the time and sitting down and doing this interview with me. I know it's getting late. It's currently uh, 11.19 here, and we got to be up somewhere around 7, 7.30 and getting to the racetrack at, you know, 9.30 tomorrow to start our day. Yeah. Truth be told, this is early for us, though. This is a real <laughs> treat. Yeah. Normally, we're not going to bed till 12 or 1. It's never a good night in a race shop unless you leave till after 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, man, uh, Thank you for letting me do this, and um, I hope we have a good season together. I hope we win a bunch of races and finally get this first late model championship that you and I have been hunting for, and uh, I'm really looking forward to going through the season with you. As do I, man. It feels different. really does, sincerely. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Mason Bale. So, man, I had a lot of fun interviewing Mason Friday night. What did you think of the interview? Because you weren't there to, you know, help me do it. You stayed at home. I, I had to go away for the race that weekend. But uh, what did you think of it? And what also did you do this weekend? Yeah, I thought it was great. You guys line up so well with your backgrounds. Uh, you guys have had owners that have helped you out big time. It's just been a great run with you two together. Like, I feel like he builds off you and you build off of him and you guys build fast race cars that way. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a good weekend. I went to a dirt race. Uh, actually watch Steven race, and then just relax for Easter. I had those Reese eggs we were talking about. There you go. Got a love boy. So what? how was your weekend, buddy? Oh, hold on. Before we get into me, what did you do this weekend, Steven? So we raced Friday night Georgetown Speedway with the Spring Car, uh, Wingless 360, and then uh, Saturday night raced again, but with the Micro, and we actually did really good there. We finished second and first, and then um, Sunday we just hung out with the parents and my grandparents for Easter, which was uh, really relaxing build off of Cody what he said you know it's good to take a day off just to relax for a day that it is man I my relaxed day was definitely Sunday I was wore the hell out from the weekend so yeah I called you you didn't wake up till noon <laughs> dude I was I was asleep I, I slept into 11 30 I was wore flat out I left well I went down Wednesday and tested with Mason and Justin Martz Thursday I went back down to Mason's shop worked all day Stayed down there Friday, worked all day in the shop again on Friday because we got rained out from testing. And then uh, Saturday, we got into the race. So, man, we had an awesome weekend for Tyler Hughes Motorsports on Saturday at Dominion. Mason ended up qualifying sixth, and Justin Martz ended up qualifying third, laying down a heck of a lap. He uh, really surprised me. I, his car <laughs> didn't look that bad. He was telling me it was worse than I thought it was, but... He, uh, I, I did not expect him to lay down a, you know, an O and qualifying and qualify third. 
So that was really awesome for him. They were His entire crew was super pumped up about that. Chase Burrow ran for Steve Little and Hoyt Overball this past weekend in their car. I do the shocks on that car. He ended up qualifying second, which was super impressive. Peyton Sellers got the pole. And then the way Dominion works is they do an invert for the first race. You pull a number out of a bag. They got six sixes, five fives, four fours, all the way down to one one. And they ended up pulling a six and putting us on the pole. And Mason Bailey led flag to flag and uh, ended up holding off Peyton for the first win. Super awesome race. We got out about 10 to 15 car lengths, and I had him kind of back down his pace so he didn't wear his stuff out. And then once Peyton moved into second, I waited about two to three laps for him to see what his lap time was. And he was about a tenth, tenth and a half quicker than us. And I just came over the radio and told him to run like hell. And he started running away, and... Peyton was barely reeling us in, but it looked like he was kind of using his stuff up a little bit more than what we were. Just his rotors were glowing a whole lot worse. He was sliding the car on entry to middle. And that's where he gained the most time is he would just, you know, drive it in about a car length and a half deeper than us and gain on us. But we were able to kind of maintain the, or pull him just barely on exit. And uh, Chris Phillips looked at me with about 28 to go, really scared, you know, like, <laughs> like oh, he's coming. I just told him, I was like, man, I – I think in about 10 laps, he's going to wear his stuff out and he's going to get aero tight and we're going to drive back away. And sure enough, 15 to go. It was like a light switch. He's, he started dropping lap time and we started driving back away. Parker came over the radio with about nine to go and he's like, should I tell him to back off? I said, hell no. You tell him <laughs> keep that thing running out front. You, you Just don't lift, man. You know, wins are so hard to come by in late model racing. As you heard in Mason's interview, him and I only have three wins together in two seasons. You got to take them when you can get them. And you yeah, know, when you have that twenty-six car behind you, you don't dude. you don't slow your pace. <laughs> no, you don't lift, man. You run as hard as you can to get away from that guy because you know they're just so on top of their game all the time. And in my career, I never beat Philip Morris or Peyton Sellers for a win straight up. You know, as in a one-two finish. And Mason's done it one time, the first ever win he got, and. I don't think we've ever done it in the fashion that we did it this weekend where we just flat out outrun them. You know, Peyton had a hard time kind of working some of the traffic at the beginning of the race, and once he got clear of those guys, he was coming hard. So we just tried to run as hard as we could. So uh, then the legend cars, man, Mike Waddell takes the win in race one. So that's another THM victory. Then Caitlin Stradley goes out and wins her Bandolero race. That was her first ever win at Dominion. So there's three, three wins on the board for THM. And then uh, we go out for a late model race, race two. Mason Bailey ends up finishing eighth. We had some issues. Just our balance wasn't all that great. Trying to figure out what happened there. Just have to do some testing in the future to figure out what went wrong there. But also we had some stumble issues kind of mid-race. We were running. We, we had the next three guys right in front of us. We were trying to line them up to pass them. And we ended up just having like a stumble in the car, whether it was fuel ignition. We don't, we still don't know what happened. Fell back about a straightaway and had to try to run those guys back down. Finished eighth. Justin Martz, man, he comes away third in the second race. He looked fast all weekend. Yeah, he was, man. He uh, he he struggled in race one. He got really free and fell fell. I can't remember exactly where he finished in race one, but he fell pretty hard and came to me. He's like, man, I just need some forward drive. Walked straight into Mason Bailey's trailer and grabbed a shock off the wall and told him to go bolt this on the left rear. And that uh, he came to me after the race. He goes, you're not getting that thing back <laughs> after the race. I'm keeping that one. 
So uh, he came away third, and Chase Burrow, man, wins the race, you know, for race two. But? But it's not official yet. So Always we got to wait till Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Dominion is a big wait till Tuesday, you know, track uh, to announce anything wrong. But they were having some carburetor issues down there in tech, and to the point where the tech officials walked up as we were standing there and asked them to give the trophy back. So... Not exactly sure what happened there. I does, hope he get to, does he get to keep the money? Probably not. I I'm mean, about not, say you if, can have the trophy. If he gets DQ'd, he probably won't keep the money. <laughs> uh, I'm really hoping that he does keep the win because that would be five for five on the night for THM. That would be super awesome for us. Either way, even if that doesn't stand up, we'll go four for five out of the races that we were involved in at Dominion. Uh, Alec Andrex actually came away with the the last victory of the night in the Legend Cars. Mike Waddell ends up second there, and Connor Waddell ended up third in that race. So, Stephen, you used to race with Alec, right? Uh, yeah, I pretty much raced with all the people that you just announced <laughs> there. Um, Alec, yeah. Connor. Yeah, Connor, uh, when we raced quarter midgets, he was in the juniors when I was in the seniors, and uh, I raced with Alec and Braden pretty much my whole life growing up. And, uh, I mean, at Blackbird, you know, us three were pretty much the star of the field there, you know. Uh, it's glad to see, like, you know, I broke away to dirt, and they broke away to um, asphalt, and it's good to see them, you know, improve every time they go to the track and pick up wins. You know, that's hard to do, especially just the way the racing era is now nowadays. Absolutely. You guys are paving your own, you know, way in racing on two different paths, and that was something that was really cool about the quarter midget world when uh, you and I grew up is that, you know, you got guys like Kyle Reinhardt going off, and he's running four tens for Quackenbush, and guys running in the Outlaws now. You got David Gravel; he came from the quarter midget world. Just so many guys that you know have, have just gone their own path. You know, whether it be dirt or asphalt. So, but yeah, man, that was our weekend at Dominion. It was an awesome race there. Uh, only twelve cars. That was a little disappointing to see. Uh, so none of that. Real, really count for national points towards the end of the end of the year if we get some full car field stuff or full car field wins so uh not sure why that happened i know sellers and them they didn't bring a couple of cars like you know pembleton Silvestri weren't there cole bruce he ended up going to langley uh this year so just some guys that are just venturing off on different paths but hopefully we'll see the car count improve over the next couple weeks so this weekend we had the icebreaker at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. You had the pass late model feature up there. Trevor Sanborn comes away with a win. Gabe Brown second. Derek Griffith ends up third. The Modifieds had Ronnie Williams win the icebreaker in $10,000. Ronnie Williams actually went a lap down after not pitting for tires early. Williams took tires with about 15 to go and drove from 14th to win the race. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, friend of ours, DJ Trudeau, he's up there spotting. Uh, I think he was spotting Anthony Bella, who finished eighth that, in that race. He was, I, I called him to see. I was like, how in the hell did Williams go a lap down and then 14 to go? Come, you know, because you don't see that on race monitor or anything like that. He was like, yeah, he got tires, 14 to go, and end up coming back through the field and and won. I mean, that's wild. Yeah, it kind of almost sounds like a little bit of a Myrtle Beach style deal. Yeah. Like you yeah. know, Myrtle Beach was a place where you could really fall back and you know, lay back and there was plenty of room for pass and you could drive back through the field and, you know, salvage a good finish yeah. or win a race. I mean, Lee Polium. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So that was pretty, that's pretty cool to see that Ronnie was able to pull that off. I mean, come from a lap down. That's, that's you don't typically hear about that too often. But uh, moving down to Langley Speedway, 
Connor Hall qualifies on the pole, and Brendan Queen qualifies second. Two big car store guys right now, two big names in the car store. Both go back to their home track and duke it out again. I was going to say, it's something we've always seen it, uh, so yeah. it's nothing new. Yeah. We we told we already said we'd be talking about these guys all season long. It's so. not even in the you know <laughs> we've only ran two car store races. <laughs> yeah, so we had Connor Hall, man. He led every single lap in race one. One wins the race. Brendan Queen comes away second. Mark Wirtz third. Uh, race two, Danny Edwards ends up getting the pole after the invert. Connor Hall passed Brendan Queen for the lead on lap twenty five. Connor Hall started eighth in that race. Connor Hall wins again. Brendan Queen again comes away second, Greg Edwards third. But in the super trucks, man, we had Chris Roberts get upside down. <laughs> Dude, you don't see that too often. No, not in a – first of all, not in a truck, and especially not at Langley. It's not like a – you know, it is flat, so I guess that helps get the, you know, tires over. And just something you don't see in a super <laughs> truck. It's so weird to talk about. They are a little bit higher off the ground, so they maybe are. that had something to do with it. But looked like he got hit in the door and got turned on his roof, so – but, man, they had a great car count down there. I mean, they had, I think, 20 cars. I mean, Yeah, something like that. I mean, they had a full field for sure. I mean, obviously something that Dominion just didn't have this weekend. But, um, you know, Langley in the past has been kind of struggling for car count. And to see them get a 20-car field, I mean, that's huge for that track. Yeah, I know, like, Ryan Matthews was down there. Cole Bruce, I think, is splitting this year. I think he's going to run some Dominion, some Langley. But this weekend he was at Langley. I think next weekend he'll be he'll be at Dominion with Langley being off, but yeah, then you had Connor and Brendan come and help the car count big time. I'm sure, you know, when you can go out, when you get opportunity to go race guys like that, you're gonna take it. So man, let's uh let's bring Steven back into this. Uh, we're getting into our dirt segment here. Steven, we want to find out how you got started in racing. What was that experience like? You know, obvious. I'm sure your dad got you into racing, right? Um, actually, Cody did. Um, so, <laughs> oh man. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they what's, had the quarter midget, uh, what's that thing called? Like um, Driving experience. Yeah, driving experience. Yeah. So Cody said, uh, you know, maybe I should go check that out. And, uh, you know, my dad took me up there, and he said that I, like, sat in the car for about four hours after I got done doing a few laps. So uh, I guess right after that day, you know, it was pretty permanent, you know, that <laughs> I wanted to do it. You know, we started off in quarter midgets with this uh, car called the Junkyard Dog. It was Stars and Stripes, you know, that bad boy. He got the job done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How old were you when you got uh, when you first did that driving experience? Um, I think I was around four and a half to five. You know, I was, I, you know, to some kids I know that started quarter midget like a little later. You know, I I was one of the ones that started very young. So, um, which in the long run I think pays off. So, four and a half, a uh, young kid like me just going out there turning laps helps. Yeah, absolutely. Co- why don't you? describe and tell everybody about your relationship with Cody like you know obviously you two are related so what is your relationship with him been like and Cody you can answer this one too it's very close you know uh he's like a racing idol to me he uh helped me a lot through like tough times and things that I don't know that he does know you know is very helpful because you know I'm still young and you know I get I get like stuck on some stuff and you know he's good to rely on because he's always a step ahead than me so um to rely on him on questions or uh like things i have to know for a track or something that i can reach right out to him and you know he'll give me his opinion and usually his opinion helps right away so yeah usually my opinion's unwarranted i'll just be watching a race and text him and i'm like i know he's gonna see this in a minute so hey the cushion's moving 
something like that. But he's been, his mom is almost like my sister. So that's how we've been, you know, close since, I mean, before he was born. Yeah, it was just something I thought that they would like to do getting into it. As far as driving experience, I didn't expect it to go this far. Um, but yeah, he's been a great learner. That's really hard to find in a five-year-old kid. But since then, it's been, he listens, he watches races, and he figures this stuff out quick. He's already shown it in everything he's ever driven. So That's awesome. Now, what age did you finally step out of quarter midgets and start making a transition into uh, into whatever your next step was, whether it was 600s or what was that next step? Uh, the next step was 600s. So um, I think I was 13 or 14 when I first started micros because around PA you have to be 14 at most of the PA tracks due to I don't I don't truly know, but that's just the rule. So my last year at quarter midgets when I was 13, you know, we, we did travel and do a lot of asphalt racing. Um, and, you know, we picked up a national championship on asphalt and dirt that year, which was actually, you know, only a few drivers was actually able to do that. And uh, that was a pretty neat experience um, when you went out to the USAC banquet and they said your name for dirt and asphalt. So, uh, yeah, um, 14, we stepped, thir- at the end of 13, we sold all the quarter midget, quarter midget stuff and Right when I turned 14, uh, we went up to New York and got this pretty pretty cool micro, and now I'm still doing that today. That's awesome, man. You've had a lot of success in the 600 micros, and to the point of which you won the Keith Coons Give Back Classic, and you've also won a lot of big money races along the way. Talk about that experience uh, with winning the Keith Coons uh, race, going out to the Chili Bowl, and also some of these big money races that you've won, you know, get into all of them man um so it starts off with the uh i think my dad when the first year we started micros you know he uh doesn't like to choose one track and just race there weekly he he wants me to travel around and get the different feel of different tracks different people to race against so we uh started with every track in the books and pa that we went to the first year you know i'm i was your guy that ran you know in the b main weekly and you know that was tough to from going to quarter midgets to end quarter midgets when I was winning, you know, pretty much almost every race that I went to to, you know, not even making the feature. That was the hardest transition into micros because the talent level was so different and it's just something new. And then um, the second year, you know, you you learn a lot as on the off season and from the year prior. The second year, you know, instead of being that guy that, you know, is in the B main, we being that guy to run 15th every, every night and, uh, you know, we did travel out to out west a few times, and out there, you know, it's totally different. And I feel like as a driver, you learn so much more. And then when you bring that back to tracks that you race, you know, weekly, it really helps you. And um, so after the second year, you know, we uh, completely redid the whole car. You know, we showed up to the track brand new. And right at the first year, or right after the third year, with the first, you know, my first ever brand new car you know, we were leading and, you know, we had a mishap and happened. But after that, you know, that year we won, I think, 11 races. So wow. um, in the micros and, you know, to race, you know, three times a week in the micros and 40 card field every night, you know, to win uh, 11 races, you know, I was one of the best around uh, for my third year, you know, it was pretty, pretty actually amazing. And, um, you know, we did good in speed week. We went out to a few out west shows. We, we made the feature. But uh, the owner of Hyper, the chassis that we run, uh, you know, reached out to 
my dad and said, you know, I think we should go back to the or go to the KKM give back that's out in Oklahoma at Port City. You know, my dad didn't want to turn that down. You know, he thought it would be a neat experience. And as a driver, I was stoked because, you know, he was giving me a motor to run because, uh, you know, them people out west, they, they show up with the top line equipment, you know, to go out there and flip the first night is, you know, the first night, you know, I made a big mistake and I, I flipped. And then after I flipped, there was six cars pulled off because they couldn't refire. So if I just stayed out there, I probably would have set myself up great for a Saturday. But the Saturday was like a textbook thing written down. Like it went perfect. We started deep in the B main. We was battling with Tanner Thorson for the lead in the B main, which is, I mean, he won two or he won the Chili Bowl two years ago. And this past year he was, he ran second in it. So battle against, you know, drivers like that, you learn. And uh, so, you know, we went like ninth to second in the B main. And I told my dad, you know, the car's on rails, just add fuel and I'll, I'll uh, mess with the shocks and we'll see how it goes. And we went uh, 14th to the win that night and uh, wow. battling with Dazen Persley for the win, you know, and I was just toting the bottom as he was just railing the cushion. And, you know, when you're up on the top, it does, it can pay off. You get a lot of momentum, but, you know, if you can't be perfect at it, you know, the guy on the bottom just has to, you know, it's just like asphalt racing. The guy on the bottom that may be slower in the beginning, you know, he just got to keep hitting his, keep hitting his marks. So I had, I had that win, um, and you know that really set off my career. I would say um, because you know we won that, we took the ride. Mike Dicey, the owner of Hyper, you know he was he was very happy that we took the ride. I mean, you could have won fifteen thousand, or it was, I think it was five for, for end with the ride. So we took the took the midget ride um, because you know. That's, as growing up, you know, you have many dreams, and sprint cars and midgets is one of them. You know, we went out there for the Chili Bowl. You know, as a driver, you have a lot of pressure on yourself, and that first year at the Chili Bowl, you know, it was an eyes-open experience, and to be honest with you, I, I would say I sucked <laughs> at it. Um, I mean, we got into a fight down there. Uh, thanks, uh, Chaz, or Kaz down there, you know, he... He defended me pretty good down there. I mean, it's your first experience. You want to experience everything. Yeah. Fights, yeah. food, yeah. you know, track, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have at least tried to fight you on the racetrack instead of fighting you on the ramp. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, that's a rule. <laughs> yeah. 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 And after that night, they made that a rule. So. <laughs> after that night. Um, but we went out there for the shootout the week prior, and um, the publicity I had was is insane because – I would say that KKM give back really set off my career. So I had a lot of eyes on me there and we did really well for my first time at the Tulsa shootout. And then, uh, like what I said, we went to the chili bowl and I think I had way too much in my mind and what I wanted and what I didn't do, you know, really cost me. Like as a driver, I just really overdrove, made too many mistakes, but I didn't have any tests before that. So showing right up at the chili bowl and, with in a Keith Coons car, you know, that they give you really good setups in, but if I never had any laps, you know, that would really that made it really tough on me. But that really ended the twenty or that ended that era of the midget pretty much for me because after that, you know, I didn't do any good in the I don't know, the J Main I think I yeah, was in. J Main. One thing I wanted to say though, it's been almost a year and a half removed from that. You've had to you've had another experience that you did at the Chili Bowl this year. Yeah. What did you learn coming from a ride where Keith Coons ride, everybody knows the best of the best, and then going to, you know, the Mount Stout car? You know, what did you take from that first year to going into the 2023? 
I don't know. From what you saw, what you could see, uh, Mount Stout is ran totally different from Keith Coons. And, um, you know, as a driver, I'm really hands-on. Um, I like to know what I'm given. During the, the 2022 season, I had Chase uh, McDermott reach out to me, you know, and just told me to keep my head up after the Chili Bowl. And, you know, I said, you know, things happen. And, you know, I'm not the driver that I intended to be there. And he said, all right, you know, things just happen. Um, and then after the KKM give back last year, we finished fourth in after winning the prelim night. He came over and he was like, you know, I really want to give you a ride for the Chili Bowl. Um, so we worked something out. I flew out there over the winter to work on the car. You know, the thing was a bare frame when I got there and we made it completely race ready. The two different, they're, they're totally different. You know, Jay from Mount Stout likes to hear what his driver has to say about the car. You know, Keith does too, but, you know, Keith's setups are totally different from what Mount Stout has. Like, Mount Stout has more drive on the left rear, which is more like my micro. And I would say Keith's car is just overall really super tight. And uh, I think I can adapt to a more loose car than I can super tight. And, I'm, and I didn't have no experience. And Mount Stout and Chase McDermott, you know, they gave me uh, two practice sessions at uh, – Port City for a day and that 50 laps that I got in them you know paid off because this year uh, we went to the Chili Bowl and I mean I thought I had a top five car in the A main but uh, you know Tanner Holmes flipped in front of me and I just flipped him on the right rear and it bent the uh, right rear arm and uh, I mean we still finished I think 11th and that put me in the B main or C main C main I think uh, and I mean as the track was really juiced up on Saturday I mean I was one of the only drivers that went from, I think it was 7th to 4th in the C main. And, I mean, that puts you in the B main. And I would say to get to the B main at the Chili Bowl for my second year um, is really uh, eye-opening because the drivers are top-notch. They're no no slacks. So Yeah, um, you you look who's there. To get to the B main second year, 20th year, it's still, I mean, that's, that's hard to do. A major accomplishment yeah really. that's that's super hard to do i mean there's over 350 cars almost yep. every year right yep um so uh you know we did crash out of the b main but i mean to make it to the b main like what you guys said is is an accomplishment so um i mean the 2022 season was really a big accomplishment accomplishment too because i mean we won the Hyper Speed Week, which is one of the biggest races around PA for the micros, and then we won uh, at the end of the 2022 20, season. We won Millbridge, which is ten thousand dollars pay. So um, I mean, we won. Uh, we did very well in 2022 and 2021, and then uh, to cap it off, I would say to cap off the 2022 season to do good at the Chili Bowl, even though it's the start of the 2023 yeah. season. Um, I mean, it's is to me is very. Um, looks like you know makes you look forward to the next season and i heard a little story too before we move on from the chili bowl is that millbridge race when you went down there you had you know when you so first of all when you go into these places i feel like now everybody is like oh damn it snyder showed up you know i mean that's that's pretty cool all over the country Mm -hmm. going to millbridge i'm pretty sure you had every intent in going there and winning that race yep did that lead to you being able to go to the Chili Bowl? Uh, yes, it actually did because, uh, I mean, the way the racing, dirt racing is now, nothing's really, I would say, free. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, you did have to pay a price for the, I did have to pay a price for the Chili Bowl and um, 
you know, I went down there to the the Millbridge, you know, with the mindset of saying, you know, I do need to finish top three because I wanted to pay for my uh, chili bowl. So um, uh, the first night we we actually really we didn't struggle, but uh, we were missing something, and you know, me, my dad and I just worked tremendously together, really good. So um, we did our research, and I mean, the second night we we flipped the switch and we uh, we drove away from Cannon McIntosh, and Cannon McIntosh is you know one of the best wheelers in a midget, and um, to do that, I would say you know that's pretty impressive. Stephen, I want to back you up for a second talking about when you first stepped into your micros and, you know, how you said that you were a B-main driver year one, second year you were pretty much like a A-main 15th place driver year two, and then year three you come out of the gate and you're winning 11 races and running up front with all these guys. Talk about what changed, like what was the major flip from being able to go from, you know, B-mains to running probably mid-pack in the A-mains to winning A-mains, you know, was it what did you learn as a driver from uh, one year to the next? And also, you talked about already, you know, you rebuilt your car going into year three. And, you know, you put a lot of new stuff on your car and you came out of the gate winning, obviously. So um, what were the biggest difference makers from, you know, year one to two to three? Um, I would say just, oh, man, I would say it's just as a driver, you grow um, like, I always did my research, you know, after, even if I did finish, you know, 15th at the end of my second year, I was still watching videos of the front runners learning how to get better, you know, and my dad, dad and I really clicked. We, uh, he, he started making changes to the setup where, um, we didn't before. And, you know, when you, when you got a good person like that in your corner, that's willing to try stuff. Uh, I mean, it paid off for sure. Basically, so, you and your dad learning together, you know, learning what adjustments do what, and then it's kind of like, oh, well, we've done this adjustment before. I need this adjustment now, Yeah. you know, when the track yeah. is doing mm-hmm. um, you know, A or B. And I would just say I, I changed my driving style a little bit. You know, I feel like uh, in micros, you have to be super aggressive to where in quarter midgets, you know, you, you are patient, but now I feel like in the micro world, you have to be super aggressive. Uh, but patient at the same time and uh, I mean the third year was really aggressive uh, I mean I think I did make a few enemies but uh, <laughs> is I that mean, where the Snyder slider <laughs> came from yeah uh, you know it pays I mean when you win a lot of races uh, you mean you look at the best drivers they're super aggressive too so you know a lot of people start to not like you when you know you do good uh, you know you look at Kyle Bush for a good example he wins a good amount not many people like him he either has your likers or your haters so uh yeah that's i think to me is what changed uh i have this guy i kind of drive for now his name's jim radney he works at hyper um and he says you know from when i first started micros to now my biggest change is the way i drive when something happens like um say the third year when i would be leading and got passed i would start overdriving super bad and make too many mistakes but um now if you look back from I think the clear with contact episode two when I won at Port City, a uh, milestone outlaw race. Somebody's been listening. That's right. He said when I was behind Carver, when Carver got around me in the first 15 laps, he said I never really lost my cool. You know, I just bide my time. And I and I think that's what changed is just my driving style and them. And as you get older, I feel like you learn more. 
and I feel like that's what I learned. And when you're around very well talent um, like Brian Carver and them good drivers in my third and fourth year, it just changes the way you drive. Like you are very, very aggressive, but um, you see how they drive when they get past. And, you know, like what I said, I did my homework over the off seasons and it paid off. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm trying to, you know, get through to some of these young drivers, especially like Connor right now. You know, I think when you're in the seat and you can slow the race down in your head and really focus on line and other cars, that's when it starts making the difference. And that comes with maturity, you know, over the years and running up front against guys who are actively running up front every week. You know, there's there's a point in a driver where you're able to go fast. Yeah. And you're able to go elbows yep. up for mm-hmm. whatever the duration of yep. the laps are. And then, you know, there's obviously passing. Like, you got to learn how to pass. Yep. And, you know, any anybody can pass. But it's those scenarios that when you're up front, you got to restart. You got to restart beside somebody. And yep. you got to throw it down in the corner yep. and either drive it on their door. Or, you know, in your case, maybe being on dirt, you got to throw it in on the cushion. You got to yep. know how hard to drive it in or you know if you got to know to back it up or just situational awareness I guess is the word I'm looking for but you get put in those situations more often the more you're running up front and the more you learn I'm sure yep you know I think Connor is a great example uh he is still very young Mm -hmm. um and you know I was once you know young too in the micros and I didn't have any you know the best I didn't do you know that very good um but he he will have that maturity click and you know he will want to have that drive of winning every week and that's another thing to build off of when you win you want to keep having that same feeling and mm-hmm. it it builds your confidence so you know when like when we won at action track three times in a row i walked in the pits thinking you know i have a top 5 car i can win every week you know so i feel like once connor gets that click and has that feeling and the drive things will start falling in place that he wants it to, and it will pay off. Yeah, and I think there's sometimes where you win a race and, you know, I'm not and I'm not talking specifically about Connor here. I'm just talking about all drivers in general, but sometimes you may win a race and you may not exactly know why you won a race, you know, and what you did right, and you really got to sit there and reflect on what you did right to win that race. And then there's other times where you – you will lose races, and sometimes those are the best ways to learn how to win races because you're like, man, I wish I would have done this in a different scenario. One example is when I was battling Philip Morris for the lead in 2019. You know, I had the restart of my life on the outside. I drove in on his door three corners in a row, coming to the white, getting in the three. I gave him a half a car width, and the guy put another half a you know car length on me instead of me having the half a car length advantage. You know, and I lost that race, and I always look back on that race as, man, if I would have just kept tight on his door, that one corner, what could the result have been? And it's those scenarios that you sit there and go, man, like, I just lost this race. This is what I got to do differently next time. So uh, it's pretty cool to hear, you know, that you've been able to learn and grow, you know, and as you, you know, race better guys, you're figuring out better tactics and better ways to win races. So that's awesome. Yeah, to build off of that, um, Jim Radney and Mike Dicely, uh, they work at Hyper, you know. They're really supportive in me, and Jim had uh, the chance for Kyle Larson to drive for him a few times. Um, and he said that Kyle Larson's like no other driver. Uh, he, the way he breaks down uh, the race, um, th- and this is what I've been trying to work on since the start of the season because, you know, he told me what he does. So I'm trying to break it down, like, 
uh, the way Kyle does. So Kyle um, will look at the race like a chess, like a chess match. He will see what driver line, drives where and what their advantages are in that on that lap, and he will always try something different until he finds the way to improve. So what uh, really you know aggravated me was when I when he beat me at Linda's this past year. He we were side by side for five or four laps, and every lap he moved me up into the fluff like two inches every lap, and it cost me. It eventually cost me second, but um, to finish second behind him is you know insane. But the way he drives and breaks down the race, he can tell you where he made the mistake on what lap, you know, and he can tell you what the driver in front of them can do better and where they improved that on the lap and um when i talked to jim you know jim said you know i think i'm at he thinks that i'm at the level where i push myself so hard that um i could learn how to try to play the racing game like a chess match so um you know that's trying to be my one goal this year is to uh where to see where i can do better than the other guys around me and after the race break it down um you know where i made the mistakes where i could could improve when you race and you have teachers like that um i feel like that improves yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a chess match, and sometimes you do have to put your competitors in an uncomfortable spot, like you talked about. Putting you two inches in the fluff is the difference between maybe getting by you and winning the race, or not, you know, or you taking the position back and continuing on. So, you know, that's something I try to beat into my drivers. You know, like when they're side by side with somebody, if they're entering a half a car width off your door, you take that half a car width on the bottom so that you can get the better exit and it's it you're at the you're end of the taking, day it's a chess match yeah. yeah you're taking whatever they're going to give you right if they're going to give you a half you take the half they're yep. going to give you a full you take everything they give you because chances are they're not going to let it happen again yep no it you may not get that opportunity to get back to their door again right so steven you say like this year you want to learn more how to play that chess match what are your long-term goals what do you you know do you want to you know, beeline for the outlaws. Do you do you want to go uh, make the transition? Asphalt. What what do you, what do you see in your future that you want to aspire to be, or you know, check off that you know, check off that box? Um. So yeah, actually, actually, one of my goals um this year was to drive a sprint car. Uh, I got the op- I got an opportunity to, uh, to drive for uh, Kurt Michael Racing, uh, Hefner South. Uh, Greg Hotnet drove for Mike Hefner, which is uh the other Hef- uh part of Hefner Racing um so uh I checked that off the off one of my bucket lists and you know my my goal and their goal is to uh at least for this year is to improve but uh in the long term goal is to uh actually um Kurt's goal is to do all-star sprints so he knows that I I mean every time I'm at the shop uh I push him you know let's do some winged racing and he knows that uh I want to do winged racing, so, you know, I finally got him to say, you know, my one of my goals is to have an all-star team, um, which is, you know, pretty pretty sweet. Yeah. So, I would say as I grow up, uh, my goal is I do want to run with the World of Outlaws. I do want to run with the all-star sprints. Um, I want to take that step to see where that would lead me because, I mean, I do want to drive a wingless 410. You know, you got things you can drive. And I feel like I'm there knocking on the door. But as a goal, I feel like I want to be a Word of Outlaw driver, an all-star sprint driver. You know, when, 
when you show up to every racetrack being a top five driver, you know, um, I think is the coolest thing. And it's very eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah, a lot of people that listen, probably listen to the podcast for, you know, our asphalt short track segment, probably are like, man, why doesn't he want to do NASCAR? Why? Look at Kyle Larson. I know for a fact if it didn't pay the bills, or if it, you know, Outlaws paid the bills, he'd be there. Yeah. He would pick that over NASCAR racing any day. I'm sure he just loves holding a steering wheel too. Yeah. And he'll do anything, but that's, I mean, it, that's it's vice versa. Well, and at the end of the day, I mean, there are guys still making money running the world of Outlaws and all that. You know, they're they're still making a career out of it. And I think this goes for any racer, whether it be me as a crew chief, you know, you as a driver, we just want to be involved in racing because it's our passion and we yep. want to be able to make a living at it because it's mm-hmm. what we love to do every weekend. So I- I'm sure you feel that way. No matter what, yeah. you just want to yeah. be dri- behind the wheel of a race car wheeling and making a living. Yeah, um, I would say I'm one of the, I am one of the lucky drivers that race in PA that um, race a good amount on the uh, in the winter. You know, I do you know the shootout, the Chili Bowl. You know, this year we had the the indoor uh, East Coast Nationals, and then uh, a week out, or, or a month after that, I was racing the uh, micro again. But um, you know, this year, you know, my ultimate goal is you know to try to do really good in the sprint car to, uh hopefully i can build off of that and uh where i can drive for kurt you know going into next year so um my goal at least in the sprint car this year is uh to try not to junk so much equipment um but uh, i do want to try to get a win i feel like i have the equipment to win and i feel like uh you know this first friday you know we that was my first race ever in it um we finished sixth i uh, I mean, I did start on the pole. Uh, I led a few laps. To be honest, you know, I I thought I did tremendously, very well. Um, I did make one mistake going off the banking, and if I don't think I did that, I think I would have stayed in the top four. You know, um, it did take rubber, unfortunately, but uh, I think I would eventually found it. And Kurt and them, they they know how to set up a sprint car. Uh, so I feel like when I show up, I just got to do my job. Yeah. Now, what has been so going back to the chili bowl the difference between year one and two it looked like you were a lot more settled in the car it looked like you were a lot more confident and you know now moving into the sprint car like what was the difference between year one and year two for you was it just the maturity level and also maybe taking some of the pressure off you know you got to go test it a few times talk about that and then i want to roll into something else uh yeah so for the midget the first year uh like what i said i i mean uh, much respect to the Keith Coons Motorsports. Uh, you know, I didn't really have a, have a chance to practice it, and I felt like that really affected me. And I went in there, you know, just very antsy, I would say. And the second year, he uh, Chase gave me a opportunity to practice it. So I mean, I did two practice sessions. I knew how the car was going to feel, um, and I felt more comfortable, uh, confident in the equipment because I know I knew what I was showing up with. So, uh, as a driver, I think you should know what you're, what you're given, what you're given. I think they should, I think as a driver, you should know what you're given. You should work on it, but you know, every driver doesn't work on cars. So, but the sprint car is a good example. Um, I, I worked on it a lot. Um, I, I practiced it once at Bridgeport and it was like racing on top soil. Uh, I didn't know what the car was going to feel like at Georgetown this past weekend. So, um, I mean, I just went in, I followed somebody, and 
I was I was a little anxious, but I knew what I was given. So and I did get that one practice session, and uh, I feel like if I did get that one practice session and Keith Smidget, the um, the outcome would have been totally different. Yeah, that's something I I, I was kind of looking for to get out of you was you know what that experience in the sprint car was like for the first time that you had driven it if you had had a practice session and you know now that you're a little bit older too you know obviously you're growing as a driver and you're you're learning with every time you get into a race car if it just helped you to kind of you know after having gone through the experience with Keith Coons and then the Mount Stout ride if it helped you getting into the sprint car for the first time so going back to you were talking about trying to find the line uh, in the middle of the sprint car race uh, as a dirt driver, you know, describe to us asphalt folk <laughs> what, <laughs> what what that's like. I mean, you know, you see guys all the time that'll talk about like, oh, the top will blow off or, you know, you got to you got to move the top to get to the cushion. And you just see guys hunting lines all through the race. And how do you as a driver go into a race and you know, you might be in the middle of the race and go, oh, I need to go to the top right now. Like, what, is, what tells you that? Um, so, uh, in the start of the race, I knew at the end of the heat races, um, the top in one and two was very dominant. Um, and I could feel the car really squat and get off the corner very well. Um, so, I knew when we went green, I wanted to do that. And, um, you know, there wasn't – it did blow off, but I thought it could hold me a lot more. So, um the first three laps, each lap I started, you know, slowing my entry down because I was like, okay, it is blowing off a little bit, but nobody really showed me their nose on the bottom yet. Um, uh, and the way three and four was, it's really banked in three and four compared to one and two. For me, I wanted to keep my momentum up and try to keep the wheel speed under me. So I had good drive going off of turn four. Um, and then on the restart, before I fell off, um, I watched replay and I thought you know we were oh okay we're all up there we're, we're packing it and then you know we would all spin our tires so I'm like we just kicked all the old dust off I'm it I figured it was gonna stick uh but it didn't and I watched replay of you know Kenny Miller's uh interview who won that night and he said uh, he could see the dust going off of our tires before we went green so he you know when you're behind you're always hunting to try and new lines with the you know, the people in front of you are. So, like, me and Danner uh, were running the top, and Kenny was just toting the middle one and two. So uh, he was available to try different lines because he didn't have to protect on the guys behind him where I thought, okay, the top's still, you know, really dominant in one and two and three and four, where Kenny was like, you know what, I'll try the bottom this lap to see on this restart because I saw them blow their tires off. So from asphalt to dirt, you know, you are always trying different lines to – see what could get you advantages um and what couldn't and that's i guess where the it's advantageous to be second or third in the early part of a race because or in a dart race because you know the track is going to change no matter what it's going to change whether it gets faster whether that line gets slower that way if you're the leader you we don't you know they don't have spotters they don't have somebody saying no you need to go there you know and so when you're, you know, second or third, you can you can make that move to find something. So being the leader is always going to be difficult. But being your first race, as you're going to go, you're going to find. I think you're going to find more 
telltale signs when to go down. Yep. You know, we talked about it at Chili Bowl. When you hear a guy come up on you, you can hear that. You don't have mirrors. You don't. You got to listen for those things, and it's certain things that you're going to pick up on. Do you feel like it's more of a visual thing that you're seeing, like, oh, there might be moisture up there, or all oh, it's blowing off, or do you feel like it's more of like a, a feel thing in the seat? For me, uh, I would say it's both, actually. Uh, you know, I, I I try to imagine where my car is on the track. Uh, like I try to trace if I if I'm if I have a pencil on the right rear, I try to trace that line where I think it's gonna go. So for me, I try to look to see what the track looks like. Like under the yellow, I you look, and then on a green flag run, um, if you are the leader or you're in second and third, you you can see what the track is changing. I mean, it's the same when you're a leader, but you don't know which line is fastest, and you know when you're in the lead, you know you're figuring you know, you do have a good line that you're running. So, um, but when you're in the seat, um, for my first race, like you could feel the track went away right when the rubber clicked in uh, one and two. I mean, you could see it, you could feel it. uh, But when the track starts off very heavy in the heat race and it slickens off by the end, um, them eight laps, I mean, they go by super quick, but so does the track change super quick. And that's when you really feel it because you can enter turn one a lot harder than you you can by the end of the race because you know them eight cars out there in that small lap span uh it, the track changes so quick yeah do you so like you'll is it ever like a flick of a light switch like you're gripped up gripped up and all of a sudden you just lose grip one time and you're like oh gotta go try a different line like gotta go to the bottom or gotta go to the top or um i would say for the micro i've i've done that out west uh i could feel um the bottom go away and you can see the curb starting to form and you know you may be cautious to take the first risk but i mean it will pay off for my first sprint car race you know i i i uh thought i did everything in the heat race that i needed to do you know there was a little heavy patch in one and i just kept hitting it and i felt like it was gaining on the guys in front of me and i feel like you do want to make that switch quick if the track is going away but uh you don't want to be caught lacking though at the same time so uh it'll it'll it will pay off yeah we talked friday night about how um we're talking about how the micro is different from the midget and it's different from the 360 um how do you go from running the 360 friday night leading laps you know learning a ton and then go sit back in the 600 and end up winning the race and losing by what a 10 one thousandth of a second in the second race Mm mm-hmm um, so I would say for the sprint car, uh, I have a great teacher, Kurt, you know, told me just to keep watching videos. And so I watched tons of videos Friday night uh, about the sprint car. Um, you know, I got the feel of the car. I feel very comfortable in it, you know, set up eyes, everything felt great. And then to get ready for Saturday, you know, it's, uh, I, I just still have the feel of the micro. Like I know what it's going to feel like. So I would, I did have to say, you know, the first practice, you just got to get the feel of the car for that little split second. But I have so many laps at Lanco in a micro, so that was a super easy switch for me. But say if I did go out to an Indiana track that I only go to two times a year, I feel like it would take me, you know, a lap or two to get uh, adjusted. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've never ran a 600, but I I know, you know, you said earlier, you got to be aggressive in them. Mm -hmm. And I have driven a 360. I know that's a lot of finesse. Yeah. So that's why I just wasn't sure if there was a big gap there. Mm -hmm. On that part, I would say there is. Uh, in micro or in the midget or sprint car, uh, you know, you have to be very, you know, 
precise on what you do. You don't want to go in there because you, you know, you wad half of the field up, <laughs> especially because it's wingless and you got to back off so far. But that wise, I would say it is because, like what I said, you don't want to go and wad up and take the guy out in front of you in the sprint car because you break too late. Um, but uh, in the micros, I would say uh, I still have that aggressiveness, and I feel like. Um, it's built in me and I know what I'm expected to feel and I know how far I can push it and it, I mean they paid off because I finished first and second yeah I think it's going to pay off when you put a wing on it too <laughs> that's for sure well man that was a lot of fun I want to get into the rest of the dirt stuff we got here we got volunteer speedway the Kyle Larson race the late model challenge man what an awesome race that was I, I texted you about it Thursday night when we were in the shop and I was like dude that that race was phenomenal. Larson and Davenport just went at it super hard all race long. Uh, Larson took the lead pretty early and led most of it, and Davenport looked like he was back there biding his time, maybe saving a little bit of tire, and then comes up and steals the lead. And looks like he's going to drive away, and then Kyle Larson just found something to get back to Davenport and drove back by yeah. him and drove away. That's what we just talked about. He he, Larson's that way. He finds whichever you know whichever groove he can find to be faster than the guy in front of him he did that and you know they had lap traffic pools gap super small track yeah. i mean it was just it worked in kyle's favor he knew it was a 50 lap race he didn't push himself too hard but yeah that was really cool there when he was throwing i mean it was like five laps of straight sliders whether they were short or long so he was just like i'm gonna get to the cushion if somebody's there oh well yeah for sure i I told Mason when we were in the shop watching it, I was like, Larson is going to beat the deck off this car by the time the race is over. With. And, and he did. And yeah. he did. <laughs> the I right rear it. panel was about gone. The wing was the, or that little uh, spoiler they had. Yeah. That thing was shot. So. They, they were wondering on the broadcast if him beating the spoiler off of it was actually helping him out. I don't, yeah. I don't know how much it would help him out, but I mean. That thing was dangling off in the wind. Yeah, it was really cool. They had, you know, Larson, Kyle Bush was there, Chase Briscoe. Then on the last lap, there's so much drama between Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson. You know, gets into the left rear of Larson trying to lap him, and he ends up blowing the tire. You know how hard it is to drive one of them damn things with a blown tire? Well, the cars drive off the left rear anyway. I mean, uh, yeah. they make all their drive off the left rear. Oh, he I definitely don't... drove off the left rear that time. <laughs> he drove off the wheel. The wheel. <laughs> I don't know how the hell he made it back to the to, to the start-finish line with that one, but he did. He, he comes away with the win takes his ten thousand dollars back home with him but man that was such an awesome race uh dale mcdowell actually comes home second a local guy comes up and takes one away from jonathan davenport there who comes home third but that white race went green to checkered yeah 50 was, non-stop laps that was awesome that was the best i mean probably one of the best late model races i've ever seen it was just 50 non-stop laps of just straight racing yeah uh i was like super surprised about dale just toting yeah. the bottom middle you know making hay down there and you see Davenport and Larson you know tearing the car up on the cushion you know to see that it it just shows why I think they picked the, the race to do it there because there's so many uh, available lines uh, you know you can throw a slider and still be quick you can run the bottom you can run the middle you can run the top yeah I was really surprised that actually Davenport didn't have more tire than Larson by the end of the race because I mean uh, like I said earlier it looked like Davenport was just kind of sitting back there biding his time just kind of riding and you watch larson just sailing it off in there yeah. every lap well, well you know what davenport was lacking he had he didn't have that 30 foot spoiler up in the air. 
Yeah, man, that was such an awesome race. And then um, we got the World of Outlaws sprint cars at US 36 Raceway. Yeah, Sheldon Hodenchild and Carson Macedo in the front row. Those two are poised, I think, to have a great run at this championship this year. They they just, I mean, the Outlaws, everybody knows, you got to be good night after night. And we talked about it last week. Carson Macedo hasn't finished outside the top 10. Kept it going this weekend. I mean, two seconds this weekend, he was amazing. But, yeah, Sheldon Hodenchild and Macedo and David Gravel up front, they were just completely pulling away, racing each other three wide for the lead. Um, Gravel kind of fell out of that battle. Hodenshaw and uh, Macedo went hard for it. They had a couple cautions in the middle. It's allowed Brad Sweet to get back into it, the big cat. Just Macedo and Hodenshaw were really the class of the field. Hodenshaw ends up winning. Macedo was second, and Brad Sweet finished third. They went to 81 Speedway for the Jason Johnson Classic uh, the next night. That was the night uh, that we found out the news of Justin Owen already having the Jason Johnson classic, you know, so they start the feature with the missing man formation, which is always heart, you know, heart wrenching, but a great tribute from the drivers to, you know, when they lose somebody in that racing family, it's always a tight knit group. Uh, Rico dominated the whole race. Carson Macedo racing for Jason Johnson racing, wanted to win that so bad, but he tried everything he could. He, I mean, the last five laps, he caught him and was on his tail and I thought he was going to get it. Um, but Rico comes home with a 20,000. Macedo second and Gravel was third. Man, Macedo's having a really strong start to the season. We talked about it before. I think he might be a championship contender. Yeah. Um, I think him or, uh, you know, Gravel. You know, Gravel's super good. He was there last year and battling for the championship at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, I don't think you can count out Brad Sweet. No. I mean, the past two weeks, three weeks, he may not start it off great, but uh, these past two weeks he's been I mean I think he's won last weekend um now he's knocking on the door this weekend again so I think him Macedo and Gravel are going to be the ones to uh look out for yeah it's going to be a good season I love when it comes down to the last you know going into Charlotte well getting into the NASCAR stuff man we had NASCAR trucks at Bristol dirt and why don't we just continue on our dirt segment here with yeah some NASCAR this stuff is easy not, easy segue it's not too often uh you, you see NASCAR go to dirt get it once a year and they were at bristol this past weekend so we had logano man he dominated all three stages in the truck race ryan blaney spotted for him uh you had ty majeski up front all race two second in stage one stage two and the finish joe logano comes away with the win ty majeski second and uh william byron third tanner gray is someone who looked really good all race he does a lot of racing down at millbridge yeah he he does he i think he does weekly doesn't he steven uh, yes, he does. Yeah, and he, he does v- actually very good down there, too, battling with, you know, kids that race their uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays that they only race that. Yeah, yeah, he he's, um I, I, I can't imagine he does it to hone his skills at Bristol, but he does it just to have fun, and it obviously carried over to the truck. Yeah, it keeps you in the seat, too, yeah. man. I mean, it, the more seat time you can get, the more experience you have, and again, going back to maturity behind the wheel, like, you'll have just better knowledge and better racecraft i mean whether I'm, I'm sure some of the dirt stuff transfers over to asphalt in certain scenarios maybe not all the time but i mean in some cases i'm sure it does yeah for sure Caden honeycutt he did pretty well too he ran the chili bowl this past year i was watching him when we were down there you know i know he runs a lot of modified stuff in texas where you know where he's from and that helped him out tremendously and he's looked good all year we've been keeping our eye on him 
but he had a great heat race, which put him up front, you know, started up front in the heat race or in the feature. And he ends up coming home with a top 10 finish. Jake Garcia, another great run by a late model guy. He was in the top 10. It's pretty cool to see that. Absolutely. So getting into the cup stuff, we had Kyle Larson dominate stage one. Tyler Reddick, uh, last year's guy who we thought was going to win. He shows his strength for the second year in a row, even with a different team. He held off Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch for the Stage 2 win. Kyle Larson did not take tires at the end of Stage 2, and he spun shortly after. Do you think that was a good or bad move? Well, if he wouldn't have spun, I don't know. But since he spun, I would say bad move. I mean, yeah. that was the only time you could take tires. So, I mean, he, he really wasn't setting himself up. I mean, everybody else kind of did in the front. I don't know. You don't with, – with having that system where you have to come in and, you know, time stops or whatever, I mean, that's – you don't really gain or lose anything, so what? What? Why wouldn't you come get tires? Was it? I know on the broadcast they're talking. Is it something like in this set of tires? Either way, it's going to have wear. You know what I mean? I just don't understand what the what the why there was even a thought that they would stay out. Yeah. And then speaking of Kyle Larson, you had him and uh, Ryan Priest get together, which was awfully interesting. I mean, Kyle pinched Ryan up in the wall, and then later on, it looked like Larson kind of wrecked himself there. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, I, it looked to me like Priest was trying to kind of use him up a little bit up off the corner. I which, said he was, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean. It is what it is. Yeah. But that brings me to a point of, you know, something we just went through with Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain. Is this just as bad? Is it not? I mean. I mean, I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing. So are you telling me because, okay, so is Ryan Priest going to get fined? Well, didn't you just say that? He used him up, or he admitted to using him up? He said, yeah, he was very careful how he said it. He's kind of the along the same lines as Hamlin. You're walking the same lines. He ought to get the same penalty, in That's my opinion. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if if they don't give him a penalty, if if I didn't see the interview, but if he's walking the same line of like, oh, like, I didn't care that he was there, that's the same thing Denny that's, did. That's exactly, you know, he said, I'm not, he, he wasn't having a bad day, or, well, I'm sure he was actually, but. He was more so, uh, you know, saying, you know, this is, it is what it is. I, I'm, I'm loose on the bottom, and I'm just, you know, I'm not going to hit the brake. I can't. And, and, but, and I'm okay with that. I'm Same okay with thing. that as a race car driver. But don't find these guys for it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't agree with the Denny Hamlin deal. I think it should have been overturned. Absolutely. It, it should have never even been a, a problem. Correct. Okay, if it, so. But if even Chase, listen, even or, listening to Denny's argument yeah. in the appeal process, it he, was like. Oh wow! Like you're right. He he shouldn't be fine. Like right. at first he was like, "Oh yeah, I used him up," and like he kind of contradicted himself at the beginning of his podcast by saying that. But I I thought by the end of it, after he had walked through everything and the way he described it in the appeal process, yeah. it needed to be overturned because he had some valid points. Yeah, because at this point in you know Denny and Ross's dispute versus now you have Priest and Larson, you know. It's like NASCAR saying, "Oh, well, your words actually speak louder than your actions," because you can you can use the guy up all you want, but if you get out and you go on your podcast freaking four days later and say, "Oh, yeah, yeah damn I, right, I, I used him up, right, I wrecked his ass," then how? Then you want to find him? I'm sorry, that that no, that's not right because yeah. now you're you're making these guys okay. So so when they you guy hooks a left rear or something comes off the track, yeah, uh, my steering broke. We never believed that before. <laughs> no. But NASCAR is saying, well, we got to believe it. Unless they go on a podcast and say differently, you have to believe that. And I just think that's 
then just leave it alone. You you have to do, you know, now you're gonna have to look at every race and see if somebody spun somebody. This is NASCAR, man. Leave it alone. Yeah, let the boys have at it. But I I will be interested to see what they do if they give him, if they give Ryan Priest the same treatment one week later after this appeal fails with Danny Hamlin. That's but I, <laughs> touchy subject. Touchy, man. touchy, touchy. <laughs> oh my goodness. But man, Austin Dillon had a strong run all day. Reddick and Bell, man, they were the class of the field late. It looked like Reddick probably had something to get by to get by Christopher Bell, but Christopher Bell holds him off. Had the caution late. Uh Christopher Bell ends up coming away with a win. Tyler Reddick second, and Austin Dillon comes away third. There. I would have loved to seen if Reddick would have done something in three and four. Coming down the back stretch, he had a he, run. He had a big run. Uh I think Bell like just started really being careful about what he did want to do. And, I mean, Reddick caught him from six-tenths to down to two coming yeah. to three and four. So. I mean, you saw the haymaker that was put yeah. on Reddick last year. I'm sure Reddick was like, hey, you and, win some, you lose some. Here and, we go. Uh, off of that, you saw, and during the race, you saw, you know, Larson is a good example. He threw a big slider. Uh, I think it was on Truex. I mean, he made it stick. So, uh, I wasn't, I was thinking that he was going to try something. So, yeah. What do you think about the heat races with passing points? That was awfully interesting. Yeah, that goes to 600 racing or anything short track racing around here as far as on dirt. I mean, that's cool to see because that's something that these guys don't, they're not introduced to a lot. In NASCAR, um, in any smaller series they run, they usually don't see that. So when they go to cup race and they say, hey, you know, you you get some points for passing, they're going to be like, what the hell is this? You know, and it, it just, it's a different dynamic for these guys and I, it's fun to watch them embrace it absolutely so the other thing that we have on here is the choose drone that was uh very clever nascar yeah that was very clever i loved it you know obviously on the dirt like that pain is gonna fade away for the choose cone so that was a great uh addition yeah put a camera on and everything i like that yeah that was really cool i i almost think that's something they ought to just keep and use it everywhere no all, all you the know time. what they should do remember digger you have digger in the choose cone on the track. That would <laughs> oh, be awesome. There you go. Then you could even tell who hit it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to yeah. To the back. Yeah. Digger got you, buddy. Man, good ideas. NASCAR ought to be listening to Clear With Contact <laughs> and take our ideas and put them into fruition. How do you know they're not? I mean, car store's be. listening. We yeah, said choose yeah. cone. They choose brought the cone. choose cone, baby. They're listening. <laughs> Dale's listening. I know it. <laughs> so Kyle Larson said that he'd prefer not to run on any dirt track. Taylor Gray made the same comp comments after his wreck yeah taylor gray i think was because he got wrecked i mean <laughs> right. larson said this i think before the race but uh yeah they asked him you know where else would you like to see nascar run on and he said absolutely nowhere he yeah. doesn't i mean I, I and i don't i don't disagree with him but i don't know if i agree with him i don't know if there's a you know a, a solid reason why my opinion on that is uh i mean i think you saw great racing by the end of the night uh the track got slick up to a cushion you know most you, you saw you know top six was dirt drivers you, in my opinion i think they should just bring back old good old eldora you know eldora put great show on for the trucks you know in the past years you know i i think kyle larson is kind of correct i think the race by the end of the race it did put on great racing you know they never saw a track the past years that the track never did that and uh the track crew really stepped up and did fantastic in my opinion yeah, and the thing with that is, like, the last, the first two years they did this, and you didn't have a dirt guy win the thing. You didn't have dirt guys dominate the thing. The first year, I know Bell and Larson wrecked 
what lap six or something. I mean, yeah, early, early on, it's like these two guys are supposed to be, you know, hit them Briscoe. Those guys are supposed to be the guys, and they're just not. And it's so I don't know if that stems the frustration for Larson. Like I should be able to freaking win this thing every year, and I can't. I don't know. I, you would think that being as he's the guy that wants to always go and jump in a dirt car, it, this would be fun, I, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I saw a lot of people online, you know, kind of complaining about the race and that, you know, we shouldn't have cup cars on dirt at Bristol and we shouldn't do this at all. But at the end of the day, NASCAR is looking for a good racing product. And I saw one comment say something about like, oh, they're they're really heavy cars. They look like Enduros out there. At the end of the race, I don't really care if it's an Enduro car or a cup car or a dirt late model or a sprint car. If it produces a good race, it's a good race. It's fun to watch. It's a good product. That's what NASCAR wants. And this, to me, was a great race. And I would like to see it continue as long as it's producing great racing. I mean, if it was single file and all guys were on the bottom and nothing, there's no passing, no lines moving, and you know everybody was spinning out and wrecking, then, yeah, it probably wasn't a great race. Well, but it's, it's the same concept as having – Jensen Button and all those guys come over and run Coda. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, you had Jonathan Davenport run the truck and, ex- and uh, cup race this weekend. It's not easy. No, it's not. It's not easy. And we we thought that we'd see a better finish out of Jonathan Davenport, yeah. which, I mean, he ended up, I think, having a problem, ended up 36. But, I mean, during the time that he was running, he was only running right around inside the top 25. Not a bad showing. I mean, that's probably average, especially for what, like, if you say, like, a road course ringer will come over and do on a road course, that's probably about where they run. Uh, you look at Jordan Taylor, you know, he finished probably around the somewhere in the 20s at Coda. So, but it, it does make for a good storyline to see those guys come over and to see what they can do. Yeah, I think a lot of people will try to line it up with, oh, well, Kyle Larson went and did this, and Kyle Larson. Stop that. Kyle Larson is Kyle Larson. Yeah. No, no one is Kyle Larson. No one's going to be Kyle Larson. He is his own amazing driver. You know what I mean? Like he, You're not going to touch that. He's one of a kind. Yeah, he's one of a kind. The way he does things, we talked about it earlier. Jonathan Davenport is right there, but it, it just shows how hard it is to you know, switch crafts. Yeah, and also not – not to discredit any of the talent that's in the world of outlaws or, you know, whether it be late models or spring cars or whatever, but those cup guys are there for a reason. And it's the it's supposed to be the best talents of the world. And Jonathan Davenport is one of the best talents of the world in dirt late models. And for him to come over and only run in the mid-20s just shows how good these cup drivers are and how fast they can adapt. And, you know, also I'll – give Jonathan Davenport a little bit of credit here which is you know he's climbing in a car he's not used to who knows how many laps he may have had in the sim or if he tested it all he probably didn't test it all anywhere but at the end of the day like he still had to learn the car even though he's used to dirt racing and I I think he he did a good and pretty average job for you know getting in the car and last minute and just being a one-off race yeah for sure but one other storyline that uh, I wanted to kind of bring up, last year, Ty Dillon, when he ran for GMS, um, he had a pretty decent showing at the dirt. I mean, he ran up inside the top 10. Last night I looked up, and 
he was back inside the top 10 again before I think he had an issue. So why? I don't understand this guy. Like he'll, you know, <laughs> I hate to say, I don't want to say that he oh, sucks. I'll, I'll say it. I'll, no, no, no. That's not what I was going to say. Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that he sucks, but like he struggles on any other track. I was going to say what I'll except say for dirt. is maybe, maybe this ain't it. Maybe it's dirt that, you know, he needs to get. I'm pretty sure haven't they been on dirt? Haven't it didn't him and their Ty background run? Were, yeah, was, was dirt. dirt? So maybe that's just because because Austin Dillon looked really good last night too. Yeah, maybe it's just maybe these guys maybe Ty Dillon just needs to drop out a cup and go run some dirt World of Outlaw races I mean, and we, see how he does. If he takes the same money he's getting to run a cup car to go run outlaw races, I and mean run up front when you might, have more fun. Personally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good at taking the trash out. I do that more than I do anything else because I like it. I'm good at it, you know? Yeah, I I don't think it – I, I kind of want to see him get into a dirt late model. I don't know why he hasn't. I don't know if it's just a money thing or what. But, I mean, if the guy has come from it and he shows, like, his talents and runs up front at Bristol Dirt in a cup car, especially in, like, a Spire Motorsports car, which isn't the equipment of a Hendrick or a Penske or whatever – but why don't we see this guy get in and run some more dirt races? So anyway, this kind of wraps up our segments. Uh, looking ahead to next week, we, we're we going back to Dominion Raceway for race two of the season. Got to uh, go win another one. Uh, man, I hope we do. We're going to go back and test a little bit more on Friday as long as the weather stays nice and see if we can get some more speed. You know, we, we kind of struggled with some raw speed this week. Um, we didn't have the speed that we needed to qualify up front. Obviously, we qualified sixth, caught the invert, but we had a very consistent race car. So that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to go back and try and work on, and hopefully not hurt our long speed or our long run speed with. Uh, just try to get a little bit more raw speed to keep up with Peyton um, out of that car. But uh, you'll have smart mods at Hickory, uh, truck and Xfinity and Cup are all at Martinsville this weekend. Another short track package race. It produced good results at Richmond. I'm hoping it produces good results in Martinsville because obviously Martinsville can always put on a great race, but, you know, it hasn't been here lately, and we we want to see this package improve it. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, Richmond is more of a roll, you know, a rolling track to where, roll speed track where they, you know, the, the package worked out a lot, bit, lot more than we might see at Martinsville just because it's high, you know, if the, if the car is still high grip at a place like, with low speed like Martinsville, it might be the same, but I hope not. Yeah. I hope we get the same type of tire, too, that we did at Richmond, something that wears out a lot, something that can produce a lot of comers and goers, and I think that should make for a great race. Uh, We got World of Outlaw Sprint Cars at I-55 this week uh, on the dirt side, and, uh, man, that's all we got. Get out and support your local short tracks. Uh, We want to see fans in the stands. It only helps our racetracks and, um, you know, us drivers and crew members, we, we love to see packed racetracks. So, again, please get out and support your local tracks. And um, we appreciate, Stephen, uh, you coming on. We appreciate Mason Bailey's interview. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and uh, we appreciate all of you listening and following us each week. Tune in next week. I don't know what I don't know how we're going to top this one. but Yeah, this might be the last episode. I don't know if we're going to do any more. <laughs> Um, no, it was really cool hearing, you know, hearing from Mason and Steven. 
um, two different sides, you know, how they came up and things like that. It's, it's pretty cool to hear. So hopefully we can keep doing this guest segment. I think it's fun. Absolutely. And Stephen, again, thank you for coming on. This won't be the last time that we have you on. Hopefully the next time we have you on is when you win your first sprint car race. All right. That'll be, that'll be the goal. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys. It was, uh, very fun, uh, funny. Um, hopefully the fans liked it because I know I did. Yeah. Share that's, the, that's really all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Share the hell out of it. Follow us, listen, spread it. And y'all have a great week. Yep. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the clear with contact podcast. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Clear With Contact. Feel free to share and tell your friends. Until next time.